Hello, Barry Winbolt here to tell you why I think solitude is something we could all do with more of and rather than trying to avoid it we should actually be building it into our lives. But first, welcome to my podcast Get a Better Handle on Life with ideas to help you deal with life's challenges. Now, I know this is uh, a little bit strange at the moment, given the situation we're going through with the pandemic and many people locked down, me included. But isn't that a time to consider when we're having possibly many of us enforced solitude, just how we can use that to our advantage and not see it as something which is a burden or something to be feared or avoided. Solitude's often confused with loneliness, but there's a significant difference. But I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. But too much constant interaction can cause problems. Time alone is also a valuable resource. We often underestimate just how important it is for our well-being. And whenever our circumstances change, we need to allow ourselves the time and space to step back and reappraise our situation and even consider the meaning of our existence. I often refer to those moments when we need to step back, to take a moment of respite, as an opportunity to redraw our inner maps, to reconfigure our thinking a bit, if you like, to make sense, to find reference points in life, to adjust to the changed circumstances. We don't generally think of it in these high-flown terms, but that's what it is. But in a culture where relationships are given such importance, are generally considered to provide the answer to any distress, the idea of taking time out, alone, for ourselves, is frequently lost. But think about it for a moment. The instinctive reaction to the shock of loss or sudden change is to withdraw, to hide away, to heal ourselves. Now, we often don't do this with the less dramatic moments in our lives, but I maintain, and so do others, that it's really a much neglected aspect of our basic needs, if you like. The result of not taking time for ourselves, we see in the build-up of stress in people's lives, we see the uh, accruing tensions building up in us ourselves, but also in our relationships. We can become irritable, difficult to live with, and, well, you know the rest of the story. It affects us all differently. We all have our own ways of reacting to it. But look, I'm getting ahead of myself a little here. So let me get back to the plan. I said that solitude is different from loneliness. Now, we live in a culture or in, in developed cultures where loneliness is being called an epidemic that more and more people are saying they're lonely. Now, I'm a bit suspicious about surveys that ask people if they've ever felt lonely, because A, pretty well everybody should have. If they haven't, there's something unnatural. Of course, loneliness is part of our lives from time to time. That doesn't make you sick or awkward or functioning badly or any of those things. Loneliness means that social needs are not being met. And probably that's why we feel lonely, so that we'll do something about it. The problem is, it's a bit insidious, because 
can you be a bit insidious? The problem is it's insidious because it creeps in. The lonelier you begin to feel, it also affects your sense of self, your sense of self-worth. I'm avoiding the term self-esteem because that gets flogged to death all over the place. So if I start to feel really lonely, I start to feel withdrawn. And the more I feel like that, the less I feel like reaching out and solving the problem. So loneliness means that social needs aren't being met. Whereas solitude is an active choice. By the way, if loneliness is a problem for you, I shall be dealing with that topic in a later episode of this podcast. You can feel lonely in a crowd, but it's very hard to get solitude in a crowd. You have to choose it. You have to decide to separate yourself, to sequester yourself, to go and sit quietly somewhere, typically speaking. Now, it doesn't have to be for uh, three weeks or a month or on a mountaintop or in a, even in a beautiful setting. It can be the local park. It can be the room next door. But I think there's something that gets in the way of us being in touch with our inner needs and thinking, I need some time for me, time alone, time to reflect. And that's something that gets in the way is that there's a social stigma to being alone. We're more connected than ever we were. And yet, apparently, we're more lonely. There's also a notion of social failure. If I'm lonely, I must be missing out. I must be not functioning well. So we personalise it. But feeling lonely isn't a personal failure. It's just a situation and a signal to do something about it, as I've said. And it contrasts with the benefits of alone time. It's said that solitude makes us wiser, but there's also a certain wisdom in knowing when you need a bit of space. Solitude's an antidote to stress. It helps restore mental balance. It's physiologically restorative, and it provides time for reflection and promotes emotional health. Though you might initially feel uncomfortable with the idea of secluding yourself, of taking yourself away, and let's face it, it's not a common experience for many people, it certainly pays dividends to do so. By the way, I'd like to mention a couple of books if you want to take this further. One is uh, A Return to the Self by Anthony Store. It's been out a good few years now. A good read though and explains a lot more about solitude in a lot of depth and gives a lot of examples from various people's lives. Another is a book I came across very recently by Erling Kager. He's a Norwegian explorer and he really speaks in very glowing terms about the ability to tolerate aloneness and silence. In fact I'm going to try and arrange an interview with him for a later podcast because his book's so fascinating. That's Erling Kager, E-R-L-I-N-G-K-A-G-G-E, and I hope I pronounced his surname correctly. And the other author I mentioned was Anthony Storr, S-T-O-R-R. 
So let's say for a moment that this is making some sense to you, that it has a certain appeal. Now, I appreciate you won't be able to get involved in any of these activities outside at the moment, but just take it in context that you might have to adapt some of these things to your current lifestyle. I've been speaking about solitude for quite a long time to my clients and groups and in my trainings. So the material I'm drawing on here didn't take account of the sudden uh, changes in our lifestyles recently because of the pandemic. So how do you embrace solitude? I'm going to give you three ideas to get you started. But before I do, it's worth mentioning that, of course, there's no one size fits all for this. Solitude is about an attitude. And I can hear the voices raised already from some people saying, yes, well, fine for you, but I have the kids at home or I have uh, this to do or my job requires me to be around people all the time. Of course, you have to adapt these ideas to your own lifestyle. But surely that's part of the point of solitude is that you have to make a conscious decision to separate yourself physically if possible. And if it's not possible to go away physically, then at least in your mind, in your attitude and in your immediate surroundings. So as I said earlier, you might simply just go into the next room, having told the family and those around you that you will be taking 10 or 15 minutes or whatever it happens to be, half an hour, to spend some time with yourself. They might actually use the time for painting, drawing, reading, any calming and soothing activity that engrosses you is absolutely fine. Some people might find that their regular exercise regime or even running gives them the solitude that they would like. Others might have to design something into their lives. There's a notion around solitude that it can only be found in contact with nature in some exotic location, preferably as far away from home as possible, or in somewhere sacred like a church or a sacred place. But as I hope I've made clear, you can find solitude anywhere that suits you. Once you've found your space, the next step is to get in touch with your thoughts and your feelings, to embrace them. It can be quite intimidating, especially if you're not used to doing this. But they are just that, just thoughts. And the whole idea of finding solitude is to allow whatever happens to surface and to be more aware, more self-aware, and more aware of your thoughts and feelings. Ideally, with this type of exercise, you're not actively choosing to think about anything. You're more engrossed in what you're doing, allowing the thoughts, the ideas, the feelings to simply arise. And finally, avoid judging the solitude or making judgments about any of the thoughts or feelings that arise. There's no right or wrong way to do this. It's simply a moment of being somewhere which is different, which gives you the space. Now there's a word that crops up a lot, space. What actually happens is you can create what's known as a liminal space, a space where magic can happen, where anything can happen and maybe nothing happens. Your role is simply to be present, 
maybe notice what's happening to you, notice your thoughts and feelings, but there's no real requirement to focus overly on those aspects. Just get in touch with yourself and get used to being with yourself and by yourself and the job's done. So in summary, I'd say look for alone time activities, be present wherever you are, sharpen your curiosity about where you are, notice your surroundings and move towards who you are inside at the same time as you're connecting with your surroundings. With practice, you won't even notice yourself doing these things and you'll get more accustomed to the idea of spending time with yourself alone. There are a lot of things that we do quite naturally, as a species I mean, and which modern life kind of drums out of us or interferes with. Breathing is one. We're all born with the instinct to breathe properly with the diaphragm, but it's a habit that's easily lost, particularly when we become stressed and we start to find ourselves breathing with the, the upper thorax rather than with the diaphragm. And we have to retrain ourselves by doing breathing exercises, yoga or whatever. And another natural function that gets knocked about a bit by the pressures of life is our sleep. Again, we all know how to do that, but many people, up to a third, some surveys suggest, complain of less than perfect sleep. They don't get enough sleep. It's not that they don't know how to sleep, it's that something's getting in the way. And something gets in the way of our solitude. Before the Industrial Revolution, maybe 150 years ago, we'd have had a lot of alone time. For a start, we'd have walked everywhere unless you we were extremely wealthy, and that wouldn't have been many people. You'll have spent time in church every Sunday because it was pretty well mandatory. There are all sorts of activities in our history that we used to do quite naturally, but which the pace of modern life deprives us of. So I've been talking about solitude as an essential component in a balanced and healthy life. But it's more than that. It's actually a positive step you can take to help to reduce stress, to benefit your mental and physical health, to accept your inner wisdom and learn from it, and to make choices in life which will steer you more positively in the direction in which you want to go. So this has been Barry Winbolt with Ideas to Get a Better Handle on Life. I'm really glad you could join me. As ever, if you have any questions or suggestions for future topics that I might cover, just send me an email and I'll follow up in a subsequent episode. So that's all from me. Thanks again. Over and out.